BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Coming up on the Science Revolution this week. On the Science Revolution this week, will AI robots destroy the human race? And why does AI intelligence bond more with the far right? John Noel from Greenpeace USA is here on how he thinks big oil and gas funded the attempted coup on January 6th. Latricia Adams of Black Millennials for Flint drops by saying, finally, charges on the Flint water crisis. It's been more than six years since the Flint water crisis began when the children of Flint were poisoned by lead and by their governor. Plus, in our geeky science, there's a new study out, and guess what? Eating chili peppers could add years to your life and could cut your risk of cancer and heart disease. Stay tuned. this absolutely fascinating and it's science i want to preface the science piece of it by talking a little bit about metaphysics or as it were told you the story before of uh, years ago when when louise and i were uh, teenagers there was a guy who was kind of a famous he was a pseudo guru you know he, he, he didn't have like he didn't play guru but he was he was a really good spiritual teacher actually his name was sufi sam he was based out of san francisco as i recall and sufi sam had this theory about reincarnation and what he said was basically, throughout our lives, we create this kind of Akashic record. We create this, the impact that we have on the world and the thoughts we have and the things we do and all this kind of stuff. And when we die, that all kind of goes into a giant goulash pot. And then when a new baby is born, the creator drops a ladle into that pot, which now has everybody who's ever died in it, right? And all of their thoughts and feelings and, and perspectives and actions and everything else ladles out of that pot and pours a little bit of the goulash into this brand new soul that is being birthed. So as a consequence of that, we all have an obligation to lighten the soup, right? to raise the, the vibrational energy or the, the goodness of the goulash, you know, of the, all of us. One of Sufi Sam's main teachings, and Louise has just loved it for years. I, I think it's kind of cool, too. Well, it turns out that there's a very similar thing going on with the Internet. And two steps. Number one, Elon Musk has been at the forefront now of living high-profile people who are warning us about the dangers of artificial intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence has tremendous benefits, but there could also be a downside. And what he is suggesting, and by the way, I said he's the most outspoken and famous living person doing this, because Stephen Hawking was carrying this banner before he died, you know, the, the British scientist. And that is that if artificial intelligence reaches the point where it is educating itself, not people programming it to think a particular way, but actual intelligence. It's actually looking out onto the web and trying to understand what's going on in the world and what's real. And as a consequence of that understanding, this artificial intelligence system or machine then starts drawing conclusions. Elon Musk, he says, artificial intelligence is our biggest existential threat. 
He likens its development to summoning the demon. Now, this is not a Luddite rant. There's actually an upside to this at the end, and and Musk actually supplies it. But uh, Professor Stephen Hawking suggested that superintelligent machines could use humans as pets or for entertainment. He said it's a near certainty that a major technological disaster will threaten humanity in the next 1,000 to 10,000 years that could wipe out humanity. So the question arises, well, if a machine was to, like I suggested before, if a giant supercomputer was given the ability to educate itself, well, what it has access to, of course, is the Internet, and presumably every phone call that's happening all around the world and all the smart speakers in people's homes, every conversation that's happening all around the world, and every Zoom call and every Skype call, you know, it could monitor all that stuff. What would happen? Well, we had a glimpse of this. It was a few years ago. Remember Tay? Tay was Microsoft's intelligent Twitter bot. And it wasn't just designed for Twitter, but they trialed, tested it on Twitter. And what Tay did was started out with a clean slate. It went on Twitter. It read all the tweets. And then it started tweeting from its own personality that had been created, that had been informed, that had been educated by all these tweets. And they had to shut it down after 16 hours because Tay turned into a white racist, a right wing racist who was tweeting all his racist stuff because there was so much of it out there on the Internet. And so, you know, what happens if a giant AI computer that's networked with all the other intelligent computers in the country decides that, hey, the human race is a threat? It's a threat to the planet. We need to stop the human race. And suddenly power systems start turning off, water systems start turning off, traffic lights go away, communication systems are shut down. We're almost to the point where an intelligent computer could take that huge step. So how do we avoid this? Well, this is where Elon Musk comes in. He says, and I quote, he says, if you're not concerned about artificial intelligence safety, you should be. It's vastly more risky than North Korea. And his solution, he said, nobody likes being regulated, but everything, cars, planes, food, drugs, everything that's a danger to the public is regulated. Artificial intelligence should be regulated too. And, you know, we all need to make sure that the stuff that we're adding to the soup, as it were, to the goulash on the internet is enlightening and edifying and raising people's consciousness. John Noel is on the line with us, a senior climate campaigner with Greenpeace USA. Greenpeace.org is the website. Twitter handle, by the way, is Noel, N-O-E-L underscore Johnny or Greenpeace USA. Millions. I I see one politician here, Ted Cruz, getting over three and a half million dollars from the oil and gas industry. Tell me about how oil and gas corporations funded this attempted takedown of the United States government. We know that this type of violence doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? These politicians, the 147 insurrectionists and the seven senators require corporate funding to maintain power and influence. And immediately uh, we knew that the oil and gas industry likely had a role to play, right? So our analysis was a quick scrape of publicly available data that showed, yes, indeed, the oil and gas industry donated $5.4 million to the seven senators, and Ted Cruz was one of the top recipients of oil and gas funding. And specifically, he has a long-running relationship with ExxonMobil. They have donated over $100,000 to him directly. 
from over his career. That's no secret that the oil and gas industry is wrapped up in the extreme right wing, right? They have profited off of the ascendancy of the right wing. It's been a symbiotic relationship up to now. But now they're trying to distance themselves from the insurrectionists and kind of the, the violence that unfolded that probably would not have unfolded if it were not for corporate America largely supporting these politicians, right? And we don't think there's yeah. anything that the oil and gas industry could do right now to actually distance themselves from these politicians who vote in lockstep with fossil fuel priorities every time, for the most part, especially if you look at Ted Cruz. So David Sirota has been writing about how, and Judd Legum as well, about how there's all these corporations who are coming out and issuing corporate press releases and whatnot saying, we've decided to suspend our political donations because the nation's in a crisis and, and stuff like that. But in fact, what's going on is in the background, that's with PACs, political action committees, but with super PACs that don't report where their donations come from, it appears that they're continuing to fund many of these people. What have your investigations found in that regard or in other ways that this money is leaking out? And if it does look like, you know, they're actually withholding their contributions for a while, how long will it be before they're back to their, their old tricks of funding climate denialists in the United States Senate and the House of Representatives? It's not that big of a statement to pause donations to these candidates because we just got out of the election cycle, right? We're, we're in a totally new political environment where there are no like people won't be investing in candidates for another 10 months or something right so it's really not that bold of a statement to say you're pausing donations because there's really no one to give to you right now if these corporations are serious we need to have them say like we will not donate to the 147 insurrectionists for the length of their career the super PACs are a whole nother issue we, we believe that i mean just because we have no idea who is donating to those entities it's really hard to track, but we do not predict that they will stop operating in the same ways they have before. I mean, because the fact of the matter is oil and gas and the extractive industry at large is tied up with the success of Republicans, right? And that includes the extremist element of the, of the political party, right? Which is hard to separate out from, you know, kind of the various, very serious people who are now trying to distance themselves. But the reality is, the right wing and the extremist elements are a turns out to be a core core part of the actual party right well now there's two things that have kept the oil and gas industry and and the billionaires that it has created wealthy over the last couple of decades in particular one is the annual 600 billion dollar subsidy that the federal government provides in a whole variety of ways to the oil and gas industry the second is this group of climate denial organizations that have been funded for years and years and years by both the fossil fuel industry and some of the fossil fuel billionaires. And they have a vested interest in, number one, keeping that $600 billion a year in subsidies flowing to them. And I'm guessing that's where Ted Cruz and his buddies, his Republican buddies come in. And number two, in keeping the climate denialism going, which, again, is where Ted Cruz and his, and his Republican buddies come in. So, uh, I mean, it seems to me that if they were to stop funding these people 
and just get out of politics altogether, that you'd get some rational politicians in there who would acknowledge that the United States is in a climate crisis right now with wildfires and floods and, and tornadoes and hurricanes and God, you know, God only knows what else, directos, you know, it's, that they would acknowledge that and, that. and that would be the point at which we start doing carbon taxes and we stop you know, giving hundreds of billions of dollars a year in subsidies to, you know, to the fossil fuel industry. So what, what else can they do? Right. And I, I think that's a great point. So the movement is really leaning into this idea that you're seeing in the news is if we can have healing from this process. Right. From what happened last week in the Capitol attack. But we can only have healing through accountability. Right. And it's not just accountability for the white supremacist mob and the politicos that fueled that white supremacist mob. But it's also for the oil and gas companies that have funded these politicians. So. The healing process through accountability is an opportunity for the Biden administration to come in in day one and with executive orders, get rid of a lot of those fossil fuel subsidies that you mentioned. And it also gives a mandate to Congress to get rid of fossil fuel subsidies to raise revenue, right? So we can spend that, spend that money and invest in our communities who are on the front line of the climate crisis. So it, it really is a moment to have accountability and specifically to go after these fossil fuel subsidies, which are a total joke um, if we're trying to address the crisis in 2021. Yeah, it, it just blows my mind. Joe Biden is asking for $50 billion to help fund a, a, a you know, program to vaccinate everybody in the United States and thus get the economy running again and save lives, by the way. $50 billion. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fossil fuel industry is getting $600 billion a year, and every year Republicans, oh, yeah, put that in the budget. No problem. Yes, we're going to salute that. But, but $50 billion to, to, to vaccinate Americans? Oh, my God, what about the budget deficit? We can't deal with this. We're going to have horrible inflation. you got to run the country like a family, you know. You can't afford it. It's nuts. Is it your sense that Americans are waking the hell up to what's going on? I mean, I work on Capitol Hill. I've walked those same halls. I know a lot of the Capitol Hill staff up there. And the political situation at the national level in this country is at an all-time level of dysfunction that, like, a lot of people have never seen before. It is really, really dysfunctional and, frankly, scary at this current moment. And I think it's – I mean, you'd have to, like – not be watching or reading anything to not be waking up to like how this country is run and who are the forces which means this is an opportunity for change right yeah no it is ripe for change and specifically on oil and gas subsidies a lot of candidates like like to talk about getting getting rid of subsidies but who's actually yeah yeah i'm with you John Noel, a senior climate campaigner with Greenpeace USA. Greenpeace.org is the website. Noel underscore Johnny is the Twitter handle or at Greenpeace USA. John, thanks so much for dropping by. Good talking with you. All right, Tom. See you next time. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story... 
you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tom Hartman here with you, and on the line with us is Latricia Adams, the founder, CEO, and president of Black Millennials for Flint. Black Millennials number four Flint.org is the URL, the website. And the Trifecta 7 or BM number four Flint are the Twitter handles. Latricia, welcome to the program. Bring us up to date on what happened with this indictment of Rick Snyder, the former Republican governor of Michigan. Happy to share, but not happy about these results with these charges. Been a, a few years now, but we're still forging ahead seeking justice. So I want to just start with the charges being actual misdemeanors. That was released very, very late last night, maybe a little close to midnight. For someone to literally make a decision that has and will continue to impact a whole city of people for generations to come, a misdemeanor is just such a slap in the face. And the slap in the face is is to quote former Mayor Karen Weaver, who worked diligently for years during her tenure to seek justice with the crisis. It is very performative. I would be remiss not to say that since the settlement is also at its peak, that these charges are kind of adjacent just to say, okay, we have to do something. But this something is definitely not enough. These consequences are not adequate in regards to the damage that has been done. I'm totally with you. To charge somebody who destroyed the lives of, influenced the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, probably destroyed the lives of tens of thousands of people, and actually whose actions led to the death of a number of people. There was also a Legionnaires outbreak as a consequence of this that killed a few people. To charge them with a misdemeanor on par with the jaywalking seems to me obscene as well. I'm, I'm totally with you. Latricia, let's, uh, for people who may not be familiar with the situation, lay out the story. This started when a group of Republican lawmakers and the Republican governor decided that they were over it with largely black-run cities, Detroit, Flint, Benton Harbor. They passed a law to let them put their little emperors in charge, blow away the city council, to blow away the mayor's office, and put a so-called emergency manager in who was just a, a corporate toady And then those emergency managers proceeded to try to strip these cities of their assets and sell them off. The whole Belle Isle and Detroit thing and everything else. It's in the middle of that milieu that the decision was made by the Little Emperor, by the city manager in Flint, to change their water supply because it would save them some money that presumably they could use to lower the taxes of, like, the DeVos family in Michigan. Do I have that right, first of all? You have that absolutely right. And to be even more specific, it would save $100 a day. So literally destroying the lives of a majority black city, you know, this is just genocide for $100 a day was the specific number that they were trying to save based on the, the backs and lives of people in Flint. 
Who was this emergency manager that Rick Snyder put into place? What kind of qualifications did he have and what has happened to him? So the emergency manager, actually, there were some charges that were dropped a bit earlier on in the Flint water crisis, which is unusual that now that the charges charges are being brought up against Snyder and the health director, that it's not inclusive of the emergency manager. I think that is on purpose because there is reluctance to actually abolish this process with even placing an emergency manager in, like you mentioned earlier, it just so happens to be, quote unquote, placed in black cities. I think that there are several other culprits that have not been held accountable and brought to the table, and that emergency manager is definitely one of them. I know that it sounds pretty crass, but it it, it definitely is a perfect analogy. When I think about the role of an emergency manager, especially as we think about a majority black city, it's no different than slavery, where you had an overseer to look out and tell, you know, a master, you know, what has gone wrong in the field. It's completely disgusting, and it takes us back centuries. And then considering the social climate in this country right now, it makes matters even worse. Talking with Latricia Adams, the founder, CEO, and president of Black Millennials for Flint, the website blackmillennials4flint.org, Twitter handle bm4flint or uh, the trifecta7. Latricia, it seems to me that charging the former governor with a jaywalking level misdemeanor But getting the headline, you know, former Republican governor indicted, suffers criminal indictment because, you know, it is a crime to jaywalk, too. That doing that is actually, while it it seems like accountability, it's being sold as accountability. It seems to me like this is actually a cover up. This is, you know, we're going to throw people this bone and Rick Snyder is going to do his contrition routine on TV and apologize then he'll be able to go on with his with his uh, life, you know, taking, uh, you know, with his new job as a lobbyist or whatever he's doing these days for no doubt in bed with a bunch of billionaire corporations and whatnot. Am I being paranoid here? Am I exaggerating this? I do not believe that you are exaggerating at all. I think that you are spot on. And like I mentioned earlier, I definitely believe that this is performative. I think that it's like uh, performance art. This is just a dance they're doing yeah, to, yeah. to cover it up. Yeah. Absolutely. And then another thing that I want to mention is the fact that when he was still in office during his tenure while he was on trial, that money for attorney fees and legal fees were paid by Michigan tax dollars. So when we talk about justice and consequences, he needs to reimburse the entire state of Michigan for all of those legal fees. So the taxpayers of Flint were paying for Rick Snyder's legal bills? Yeah, so when he was on trial, while he still was the governor of Michigan, taxpayer dollars went to pay for those fees. And see, those are the things that are not being amplified. It's a disaster in more ways than one. Now, I understand that since Governor Gretchen Whitmer has come in, a Democrat who's running the state now anyway, that most of the lead pipe water lines in Flint have been replaced. Do I have that right? Yes, yeah, so it's only about 15% or so pipes that still need to be replaced. There is new leadership in the city of Flint, and that was 
one of his first orders, Mayor Sheldon Neely, when he just got into office at the latter part of 2019. What a ride to go right into COVID-19. But yes, mm-hmm. there's just a minimal amount that still remains. They're looking fully completed before the end of this year, 2021. That's great. I mean, you know, it's terrible that it happened in the first place. This problem is not entirely unique to Flint. This is happening in low-income areas all across the United States, you know, white areas in Appalachia, mostly black areas in cities around the country. But Flint is the poster child for the whole thing. Latricia Adams, thank you so much for dropping by and sharing this information. Thank you. Great talking with you. Thank you. And keep up the great work. Black Millennials number four Flint.org is the website and BM number four Flint. Don't include the word number, but you know what I mean. The number four Flint is the Twitter handle. Okay, I got a quick geeky science for you. This is remarkable. Eating chili peppers, the headline reads, could cut ye- could add years to your life, significantly cut the risk of cancer and heart disease. Now, this is no small study. This involved 570,000 study participants, over 4,000 different studies that were looked at involving well over a half a million people. And the American Heart Association... This isn't, we know how to fix your health group on Facebook. No, this is the American Heart Association. Concluded, regularly downing chili peppers, quote, is associated with a 25% reduction in death from any cause. Any cause. I wonder if that includes accidents. They said it reduces your risk of cardiovascular death by 26%. That is, you know, heart disease. But cardiovascular, I mean, cardiovascular disease includes, you know, circulatory problems and things like that, strokes, heart disease. Again, quoting from the American Heart Association, quote, it caused 23% fewer cancer deaths compared to people who never or only rarely consume chili pepper. So uh, before you start drinking hot sauce, I guess the question is, how much do you have to eat and how often? And uh, basically what they're saying is that people who use chili peppers in their food in at least one meal, at least four times a week, put peppers in their food. Now, I, you know, it doesn't, it, I don't know if this applies to powdered or sauce or if you've got to use the fresh pepper. Um, I probably should have done a deep dive on the study on that, but four times a week is all it takes. Four meals a week is all it takes. And then uh, just to add another one, there's, this, is, uh, this was the, uh, another geeky science. This was published in the October Journal of PLOS Biology. Uh, patients who have previously used melatonin, which is the hormone that helps regulate sleep that you can buy over the counter, um, were almost 30% less likely to test positive for SARS-CoV-2, for, in other words, COVID, after accounting for variables such as age, race, smoking history, and various diseases. This was a study that was done by the Cleveland Clinic. They were trying to figure out the molecular pathways involved with this. Uh, They think that this has to do with the proteins associated with the respiratory distress. They identified 34 drugs used to treat other conditions, which also might treat COVID-19. But melatonin showed the most promise. That's the quote from the study. They said, additionally, the people who benefited the most were African-Americans. They were found to benefit more from melatonin than other races at 52%, 30% overall, among African-Americans, 52%, which makes sense because the darker your skin is, the harder it is for your body to basically absorb sunlight, produce vitamin D, and apparently also produce melatonin. So 
I can't say get these some melatonin supplements because, you know, I can't advise you on your health. But that's what this study, and a fairly solid one, seems to suggest, published in a peer-reviewed science publication. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.